0: together podcast i'm your host stefan morales thinker maker doer behind working together a burgeoning hub of can do and know how inspired to explore who we are and how we can work together better i'm fascinated by all the ingredients that you need to really make something happen to really engage a system and the groups of people within it And so, on this podcast, you'll hear a lot of stories from folks who've made interesting things happen. Their trials and tribulations, their reflections, their lessons learned, and the actionable advice that they have to share. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I did. Is design thinking becoming more about thinking than design? Management by Post-its? As I've argued in previous blog posts and in episode number 8 of this podcast, the cargo cult versions of design thinking, i.e. post-it design, tend to become polite, facilitated conversations around a table, but miss what the field of design itself has to offer. So how can we push for a more interventionist approach instead of an analytical approach to design thinking? So in this episode, I talked with Christian Basin, CEO of the Danish Design Center, about how our changing world economy demands a new form of public and customer engagement, an approach to problem solving centered around co-creation and co-production, an approach that leans heavily on design practices to help shape solutions, literally. I hope you enjoy it. So first off, uh, thank you so much for, for agreeing to be interviewed for the Working Together podcast, this, uh, this burgeoning little project of mine. Um, and, uh, and I kind of like to start all of my conversations with folks, um, with a, with a sense of kind of what brought you to the work that you're doing now. So you're, you're. Your past history, the the story that leads to now, so to speak.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, my story is that I'm a political scientist uh, by background, and so I um, I started my career working in uh, in management consulting, uh, in a sort of a um, burgeoning field of Uh, public sector uh, research uh, analysis and evaluation Um, looking at whether uh, public programs interventions they worked as planned and so throughout the um, from the mid 90s until mid 2000s that was that was my uh, my line of work and I was a a business manager um, in that field Um, looking more and more into Evaluating labor market programs and programs where public organizations in Europe and in Denmark were trying to mm, Impact uh, and understand how uh, jobs were created and how organizations performed and through that work I became more and more interested in innovation and how um, Mm. Organizational uh, performance can be viewed from an innovation perspective Mm. and I became interested uh, in the consulting firm in um in the idea of not just innovation in, in business but also uh innovation in the public sector
0: right and so your political science background that you touched on there a little bit what what was it that you were studying in in political science was it just the kind of performance management yeah. side of things and organizational mm-hmm. politics or was it something right entirely different
1: so, from that? so uh it, it was entirely different, and, and I guess that there is a stream connected to that in my in my career as well. So, mm-hmm. um, I um, I actually studied international relations, and I wrote my uh, master's thesis in um, in a uh, study of uh, the relationship between the European Union and the United States after the Cold War. Oh, interesting! Uh, this was, uh, uh, you know, and so I'd say that that. Um, focus meant that when I was working as a consultant I did quite a lot of work at a European level so for the European Union and European Mm -hmm. Commission and that was kind of my specialty Um, sort of large-scale studies of impact of policy programs in Europe uh, and comparisons also how things worked and uh, evaluations and, uh, and I was an advisor to the European Commission and that stream of sort of working internationally and being um, occupied with not only domestic work but international work has gone through everything i 've been doing mm-hmm. uh, since my, my since university really right um, and so uh, that was also a stream also in my interest in um, in innovation and performance. in fact, I spent a year uh, working for the consultancy uh, in uh, New York City. Uh, looking at sort of the trends around the new economy, as it was called back then, it's it's actually kind of getting called the new economy again now, mm-hmm. um, uh, with what's going on with um, AI and robotics and so on. But back mm-hmm. then it was the digital, the, the dot com revolution, and and I was actually in the in the, um, the hotbed in New York City around 1999, 2000, 2001. Okay. And and so so yeah, so I've had that kind of international uh, interest in looking at what's going on globally as well.
0: Okay. Interesting. And so when you say that you started to explore innovation in relationship to these questions around, um, you know, uh, understanding kind of job creation and, and how organizations can be become more effective performers. Um, yeah. what, what did that work, uh, begin to entail for you? It sounds like that was around the time when you were just coming out of your your first work in consultancy, is this maybe the time that you were yeah. transitioning into MindLab?
1: Yeah, yeah. So so that's exactly what happened. So so I became sort of head of um, of innovation as a as an advisory service in in the consulting firm, and I did, we did a study one of the first in Denmark, not, not not necessarily the first, but among the first ones in Denmark on how do uh, leaders in government look at innovation, and uh, and I did a a, a, re- a survey. Well, like got a, a, a piece of research and we published uh, published it uh, back in uh, 2005, um, 2006. Mm-hmm. And so that coincided with um, MindLab, which was back then uh, anchored within the Ministry of Business. They was looking for a new CEO, a new director. And um, I had just done that piece of work on innovation and in government in Denmark and, uh, and published it. And uh, we ran some conferences around it uh, and... Um, Essentially, the, uh, the, uh, the crew around MindLab was kind of getting dissolved and there was a, had been a piece of work uh, and a, a, um, a frame for new strategy. And so well, I didn't get a bank blank slate, but I, mm-hmm. I was sort of uh, offered to, to take on the job of taking on a, a strategy which was really inspired by the idea of, of user-driven innovation or uh, user-centered innovation mm-hmm. uh, slash design. Uh, that word, The word design wasn't really being used at that time uh, in connection with MindLab, not, not really. But there was, in fact, a designer on the team when I came on,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who then uh, le- left uh, uh, shortly after. But it meant that I could sort of build a new organization around the idea of uh, citizen engagement in innovation in government.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: very quickly, uh, two more ministries joined. So we actually started MindLab as, as three different uh, departments in, in, in state government collaborating around this notion of starting with citizens and starting with businesses' needs and then designing policy and services around that, and that became the next uh, sort of eight years of my career
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that's when folks uh when folks look you up, I think they usually think about your work with mind lab um or at least I did when i when I was researching you as oh yes, I know mind lab that's a that's a fantastic organization coming from somebody who myself also works in the public sector in my day job but um but is also very interested in 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 learning how to incorporate user-centered design and uh and kind of you know these these principles that come from the design world into how we develop policies and solve problems collectively and it seems yeah. like that's really what mind lab I mean you guys were kind of at the forefront I think of a lot of that
1: yeah i think uh, i was it was um a huge privilege to uh, take on a platform that had been developed and was started back in 2001 2002, and had begun to sort of touch this kind of work. And also back then was inspired by I know, for a fact, for example, there was a study trip uh, before my time to to visit IDEO. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think, um, uh, in all honesty, I think adding um, the mix of political science together with uh, uh, anthropology uh, and, and sort of uh, highly qualitative research with design that became the foundational set of competencies that we actually recruited the new team around. So mm-hmm. I had the luxury of, of, of building an entirely new team around the strategy, around the vision, and, and actually had the luxury of spending quite a lot of time on it, including uh, building a new physical uh, environment as well. So it was really a, a quite a serious uh, process, and I was given uh, free. A, a quite a big remit to do that, and so, uh, and then I think from the beginning, when we built the first iteration of our strategy, I was quite aware, uh, and maybe also given my international sort of um, experience, that Mindlab would have to uh, uh, share uh, and 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 disseminate our learning, uh, both both because we ought to do it since we're spending taxpayer money on, mm-hmm. on doing it, and we should be tra- transparent and open. Um, but also uh, because I thought it was it was meaningful to, to uh, get the feedback and to listen to what um, others are doing and to learn from others. And I remember when we first started, we spoke to some, some uh, academics uh, that were sort of really curious about our, our sort of efforts, and also people I'm still in touch with. And they were saying, well, you know, you might think that what you're doing is really, really novel, but be aware that at any time, any kind of novel engagement that anybody is doing probably about 20 other people around the globe are doing something roughly similar. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a little bit of humility that that probably, yes, we were to some extent pioneers, I was also building on top of something that somebody else had started, uh, but giving it sort of uh, my own sort of our own new DNA. But also that that it would be meaningful to connect, and I think the the reason that a lot of people have heard about MindLab is that we we as a team and and myself uh, spent a significant amount of, of time and resources, and actually, uh, uh, traveling and sharing, and also having a huge amount of visitors uh, that were attracted to coming and seeing what we were doing. And I know that 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 MindLab is. Um, is is it, Lab is still attracting still attracting uh visitors and I was just with the team mm-hmm. recently and uh, and we're in, we're in dialogue and uh, MindLab Lab is maybe not as um maybe not as visible as it, it used to be, uh which has also got to do with I think priorities around its its uh, its ownership and its mm-hmm. sponsors. But but it's still doing uh really interesting uh design work uh in the policy and in the public uh, service field.
0: Fascinating. And so just to kind of even kind of get into even more detail here around your story there, you mentioned that you know you you did your consultancy work where you started to kind of pinpoint some questions around innovation in relationship to uh, a lot of the work you're doing, helping European organizations better understand the job market and respond to to the opportunities and challenges they're in, and then you moved to mind lab, and you know as you're saying, you really kind of came in. Not with a blank slate, but there a lot of work that had already been done, and you just kind of added on, uh, kind of your political science background and perspective to help develop that organization further, um, and focused a lot of resources. Uh, and I think it, it's it's very clear when you when you look at MindLab during that time um, that there was a lot of uh, th- there was a lot of visibility. I think in these communities around what MindLab was up to. And so then you left Mindlab Lab in 2014. Is that right? Yeah. And have uh, since 2014. End of end of 2014, and have since then been with the Danks uh, Design Center. Is that correct? Or was yeah, there so, another...
1: uh, no, there was I was a straight move from okay. from Mindlamp to the Dan- Dan- Danish uh, Design Center in Danish. It's called Dansk Design Center, but we can also say Danish Design Center. I like um, I like dance. It's it's Dansk, Yeah, it's, it's almost a... yeah. We should maybe if we, do, we should work on that. It's not a bit more Nordic and a bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but but right? Danish so, is
0: Danish is good for the you know uh, outward facing perspective. But yeah, Dansk is, is also just great.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 good. There's actually a, a very uh, cool uh, fashion magazine or design magazine called uh, called Dansk. Uh, I don't, I'm not I'm sure it's around anymore, but it was called. Yeah, so you got you got it right. That's the cool uh, way of, of putting it. So um, it goes with a story that uh, Dansk Design Center, the, the center had. Uh, I had a relationship, but we had a re- some kind of relationship with it because it's been around since 1978. And had its uh, its uh, okay. golden eras and its not so golden eras. And um, I had been sort of watching and observing what this uh, institution was was up to along the way. And uh, given that it's um, it's actually a part of the policy domain of the Ministry of Business, which is also the anchor for Mindlab. Mm. So within the Ministry of Business, you actually have an ecosystem where you both have the Danish Design Center and you have Mindlab, where Mindlab. Mm actually is the more inward looking sort of internal team working with the Ministry and its staff Mm -hmm. team to design policy and where the Danish design center uh, believe it or not is the outward looking part which is about um, uh, uh, scaling and growing and advancing the role of design and the value of design for
2: business Mm. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, but along the way also for also for uh, other types of organizations including uh, the public sector And where, uh, honestly, potentially the Danish design center, and I think it's beginning to happen now, is a much bigger platform Mm -hmm. to stand on than than MindLab is. Uh, You could say that the Danish design center has potentially a global role to play on Mm -hmm. behalf of uh, the Danish government. And it's, um, it's, it's working both nationally and internationally. And the big challenge in a way is to how to balance the sort of the legacy of Danish design on the one hand, and the other, and on the other hand, the potential of design to be a, a globally a force for for collaborative problem solving in, in, a, in a turbulent and complex world. And so uh, my work since end of 14 has really been to turn around the Danish Design Center. Uh, again, it's almost exactly like at mine lab, recruiting almost a fully new team mm. uh, of about 20 to 25 people, so a little bit bigger than the MindLab. And then beginning to work with the design ecosystem, which in Denmark is quite rich with other organizations, institutions, uh, industry associations, and so forth, to begin to really, and this is the key to my, my, my shift actually, is uh, practice what I've been preaching. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: one thing is to, to run an internal team that ultimately is about advisory work uh, and supporting and facilitating innovation processes inside the system. Another role is to have a mandate to create policy impacts uh, in a very measurable way, which is that, that our policy impacts and the uh, the, um, the the objective is uh, well, not only but but in a big part of it is to create uh, innovation and growth in Danish business, uh, nationally and internationally. And so there's a huge sort of policy impact uh, imperative. And the big, uh, I think the, the fun part of it is to actually be responsible for that and find ways of doing that using the tools, using the mindset, using the approach, using what I was um, advocating for so long at MindLab mm-hmm. and turning that into an operating model for an organization and uh, uh, humbly trying to demonstrate that it can be done.
0: Mm-hmm. And so tell me a little bit more about some of these policy um, impacts, I guess, as you call them. In that in that yep. space of economic development for, for Danish businesses,
1: yeah. yeah, exactly. So so economic development would be the, would be the U.S. term, and and that in a way sounds a little bit like an old, old fashioned term. Uh, you could argue that uh, if you look at uh, the big game in all of this, um, mm-hmm. there, I guess there are two big games, right? The one, the really big game is how the the, um, the global economy is is transforming, and how uh, digital. Um, solutions and and, and digitization of of, of business, combined with uh, automation, uh, artificial intelligence, combined with um, increasingly a smaller and smaller connected global world, Mm -hmm. combined with new types of business models in the sharing and collaborative economy, combined with um, uh, really a quest for a more sustainable solutions and uh, and businesses, mm-hmm. uh, combined with social enterprise, uh, combined with the role uh, of government in advancing business. We have this whole huge canvas upon which we are suggesting, uh, not surprisingly, that design can be part of the solution as an approach, as a, as a mindset, as a set of tools and methods. Mm-hmm. And we are proposing that Denmark and the Nordics have been... Uh, built as uh, quite uh, successful welfare states and uh, extremely livable, uh, safe, environmentally oriented countries on a design DNA, on a legacy of dealing with uh, change and dealing with uh, you know the question of how do you build a good society mm-hmm. uh, physically uh, and with the artifacts, but also in terms of institutions and so on. So you could argue that against this huge global canvas, we are humbly believing that we have something to offer and that Danish designers businesses and public institutions could be a force for for uh, for good around the world and that we can take this vantage point of design as as a lever for that so that's the big what the one of the the one big game and the other big game is we can we we want to demonstrate i want to demonstrate that a a design driven approach to creating such impacts so as an institution. as what the Danish Design Center as, a, as an organization is doing, sort of a new way of governing, a new way of co-producing, both co-creating and co-producing for better outcomes. That means, for example, very concretely, uh, we, um, when we relaunched the um, uh, Danish Design Award, which is this, uh, sort of a national award for the best design across also government, by the way, uh, we did it in collaboration with the design industry for the first time in 50 years. Uh, when we launched a major program to uh, support and facilitate innovation in business, we did it together with uh, the Confederation of Danish Industry, which is a bit like the um, conference board in the United States or something similar. Uh, we were working very closely with the Danish Design Council, which is a body of uh, it's a think tank for design in Denmark. Um, and we are collaborating very closely with across um, uh, cities like the uh, city of Copenhagen, bless you, and um, with the, city of, well, the region of Greater Copenhagen and so on and so on. So we really Working very hard to co-produce outcomes, rather than just think that we can do it all by ourselves uh, as a small team. So I think
2: mm-hmm. those
1: two global games—the one being sort of how is the world changing and the economy and, and 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 changing on the one hand, and on the other hand, how is governance, public governance, changing to become more impactful? Uh, uh, th- th- those two are really the, what we are working with, and 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 uh, that's the context in which we're trying to make it make a difference.
0: Fascinating. I really, uh, I really like also what you said earlier too, around, um, this internal advisory committee aspect, um, as yeah. well as the policy impacts aspect, you know, you have these, these, uh, these two, the inward facing and the outward facing elements of yeah. of what you're doing there. And I, I feel so often organizations that are kind of promoting design or promoting design thinking tools and whatnot, um, yeah. They're not they're not really also talking about how they need to practice what they preach internally. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Or the, or they're yeah, a, no, but I totally know what I mean. They're or at yeah. least they're not really kind of sharing with the world the growing pains that comes with adopting uh, these practices within your within your business and within your work. So do you guys feel that you know, a lot of the a lot of the work that you're doing on the kind of practical inward facing side where you're where you're scaling mm-hmm. up? I guess in the use of these tools, Um, does that inform a lot of the work that you're doing outwardly? Like you, you feel almost more confident, so to speak, to be speaking about, you know, using design thinking tools to address these, you know, these challenges and opportunities.
1: Yeah. So I I wrote a piece uh, after the first year at the Danish Design Center, I think, called "Design Square," and where Mm. I was arguing that obviously we have to practice what we preach. We have to take a design-led approach to scaling design in business, right? So it's, it's, it's using design to scale design, to advance design. And that's uh, maybe a little bit of a, sort of a, a complicated way of saying it, uh, but, but it's truly what we're trying to do. And to me, the, the uh, important challenge is then to exactly uh, be legitimate and, and, um, and, uh, and walk the talk, uh, to use another phrase. Mm-hmm. And so that has been a driving force in recruiting the team. It's been a driving force in building our operating model. And that operating model, I think, is uh, in many ways um, has all the components of what an impactful uh, type of institution should have. So just to briefly share with you that um, we have two major components, right? One is is, uh, co-creation and one is co-production. So co-creation or co-designing means that we are trying as hard as we can to co-design our interventions, our programs, our, our offerings to business and to government, together with the stakeholders, uh, starting with horizon scanning and sort of early phase understanding of trends and so on, all the way up to sort of uh, building uh, uh, concepts that we can then take into co-production, where we are you know, prototyping, building programs and scaling. And I think Across those fa- those, that value chain or that value constellation, we are really learning a lot about what it takes in practice, how hard it is. And I actually, in my new book, Leading Public Design, wrote uh, directly that uh, it's a humbling experience to be uh, in the center of this. So, so at MindLab, in, for better and for worse, we would always be a partner with decision makers. Mm-hmm. We would not be the decision maker. We would always be the advisor and the facilitator, the coach the orchestrator, we would not ultimately be responsible for results and outcomes. And we would also have a very hard time measuring them. Honestly, Mm -hmm. even though we believed in it, it was not our responsibility to do the measurement, it was the whoever we were working with. Now, in the new setup, it is my responsibility to also document impact. Our businesses Becoming more innovative because of our work. Mm. Are they growing? Are they creating? Uh, ultimately, are they creating jobs for Denmark, or are they creating more sustainable solutions? Are they creating mm. other types of value that are worth capturing? Are they becoming more attractive as employers, and so forth? And also, is, is are the cities we work with and the government institutions we work with, particularly in the healthcare, are they becoming more innovative? Are they becoming better at and both solving? Uh, addressing public problems at the same time as creating economic development. Uh, often it's that balance between the two. So so I think that that, that is really where the hard work is and uh, we, we are, uh, I think we've built a model and uh, I also wrote a piece called, uh, you know, uh, we need more policy experimentation. And to us, mm. behind the model that we've built not only is sort of all these different concepts around design, all the way going from co design to, to uh, building prototypes and then programs and then impact, but also we have said from the start that uh, we have a sort of a, we build a, we're building a DNA of our organization, of the Danish Design Center. That DNA is built on three things it's built on
2: mm-hmm. experiments,
1: learning, and sharing, which means that we try all that we can to not be a think tank. But we are a, a, not, not just a do-tank, but a, but a sort of a policy outcome tank. We we work to create interventions that impact the world, uh, in, in and in, in often in quite complex settings. Mm-hmm. And then we do our very best to learn from that using both qualitative and sometimes also quantitative tools. And then we want we, sh- we share and scale the learnings, and that's kind of the essence of our model. And and uh, arguing that to create a better society and create. Um, uh, the impact we're hoping for, we have to take an experimental approach
0: Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I I fundamentally agree, and you know, it's really funny that you mention that because previous guests I've had on the show um, have talked also about a similar model or approach to the work that they're doing which is, uh, of course he was was calling it open sourcing your um, kind of organizational DNA so figuring out how to Experiment and test, um, you know, new approaches to governance and and all all sorts of uh, uh, kind of new cooperative tools, as we were talking about. This was with an organization called Inspiral from New Zealand, Mm -hmm. Hmm. which, if you're not familiar with, you might be interested in. I'm not. Yeah, but that that idea though of kind of open sourcing your organizational Uh, DNA, I think is it's a really interesting one, and so. On, on that and kind of backtracking a little bit to your model, to your approach that you take. So when you guys go out to, um, you know, let's say a, a Danish business that you're trying to help facilitate uh, kind of this mm-hmm. business transformation for, you know, you mentioned a few things. You mentioned horizon scanning um, as part of the kind of co-create phase and the co-production phase yeah. with prototyping and scaling. Can you kind of elaborate a bit more on, on how that process works for you guys and how how you do that and the tools that you use?
1: Yeah, so I can give a couple of examples. Uh, one uh, one really uh, uh, cool example right now, which is also on the on the edge of um, um, let's put it on, on the on the edge of uh, of what you can do, is we're mm. creating um, scenarios uh, for health. Uh, not healthcare, but for health, uh, 2050.
2: Hmm.
1: So uh, again, we have the luxury uh, and the uh, privilege, but also the uh, challenge to take uh, our our funding and turn it into uh, vehicles for societal innovation, uh, mm-hmm. mainly for business, but also for uh, decision makers in, in, in all all areas. Right. So in healthcare, we know for a fact that a huge huge uh, challenge to find ways of creating health and funding it uh, for future generations. And we know that the technological change and the societal changes around that uh, are massive, uh, not least in North America, but certainly also in Europe and in Denmark. Uh, for example, uh, if we keep spending and keep increasing the cost and the expenditure on medicine on on simply on medic- on, uh, on pharmaceuticals in the healthcare sector in Denmark by 2050, we will be spending the entire national budget of the health sector on on, on on pharmaceuticals. There will be nothing left for uh, buildings, for staff, for hospital beds, hmm. nothing. It will all be spent on drugs. Wow. So we're saying there's huge business opportunity in health, there's also huge societal challenges there's huge questions about citizen engagement, mm-hmm. about dignity, about what we do with end of life. There's uh, about uh, augmented uh, health and so forth, and so uh, all kinds of ethical discussions. So what we're doing is, we're creating a handful of scenarios and co-designing them together with the sector across major healthcare companies and the policymakers and two of the major hospitals, including the biggest one in Denmark, and, and a new one is being built. And we are then um, taking those abstract future wild scenarios Mm -hmm. and we're physically building them into shipping containers that have been kindly donated by Maersk, which is a small Danish uh, uh, shipping uh, firm Mm -hmm. that you might see around harbors around the world. Mm -hmm. And so we are simply creating experiences where decision makers, um, uh, healthcare uh, companies, pharmaceuticals, medical device companies, startups, digital Mm -hmm. firms of any scale can explore possible futures for health,
2: mm-hmm. and then
1: they can engage with each other, engage with citizens, and uh, begin to have conversations about uh, future solutions, products, mm-hmm. services, business models, new markets, new governance, whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we're doing that. We start kicking it off next week with a first scenario workshop uh, with this whole uh, crew of people and organizations. And that is, for us, a prototype.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That, that's an experiment. We've never done it before. I don't think anybody's done it before. and uh, But we're pretty certain we're going to create something pretty amazing. And we're pretty certain that those who take part in the creation process
2: mm-hmm. and those
1: that engage with it afterwards will, will uh, have the opportunity to be inspired. And we're quite confident that our team can then facilitate the processes or we can bring in outside uh, designers who can do it. Uh, and we're also pretty confident this will be a relevant conversation, not just for for Danish the Danish context, but actually globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and since it's shipping containers, they can actually be moved around,
0: right? Interesting, uh,
1: pretty easily, right? Mm-hmm. So this is one example of of, of how how we are uh, we've, we've we've co-designed this with, with partners. Uh, we've engaged also with futurists. Uh, we've engaged with the uh, design firms, including Designet, which is one of the made leading Danish firms. Mm-hmm. And then we are simply. Putting this into the world and saying let's you know play with us and then see where this leads and we are then tracking and measuring whether it, businesses that engage will are also using this for innovation and creating uh, new growth opportunities right so so this is one one example um, which is um, uh, one among a handful. Well, it um, sounds
0: it sounds very interesting, you know, like this this idea of a prototype that you can kind of walk into and experience, yeah. and so the idea being that once those prototypes are set up. Um, participants will be talking with each other about how that experience feels and um also you know with their own because they're all coming from organizations with deep knowledge and background in the space they're also saying well you know if we had that thingamabob in a hospital bed we would need to do this and therefore this and so it it just kind of gets all of those ideas to the surface and so are you guys going to be capturing that information somehow with yeah um, oh
1: yeah 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 we are and also remember we're doing this for uh public goods so we are balancing we, we as a point of departure are never helping one firm we're mm-hmm. always looking to how can we share the experiences, the inside of, of, of one firm with others. Right. Of course, you know, sometimes we need to respect quite a lot of uh, intellectual property rights and so on.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: um, that means that this will be quite a public thing. It will be quite open. It will also uh, work out loud. So we will, uh, you know, open up the process. People can follow it and so on. Uh, clearly, uh, we, we want those that are closest engaged to be able to use the – the physical exhibitions and the, the experiential uh, uh, prototypes uh, first, uh, and then you know, we'll sort of add to the next uh, iteration of, of, of those using it. Um, and, and, and the idea is certainly that, yeah, it's 2050, but already today, in the short to medium term, there could be quite significant ideas and inspiration that you can sort of turn into something actionable now, mm-hmm. so we we have no no um we're not naive that they, you know uh, uh, firms will start saying okay in a thirty year horizon we're going to do this and that, mm-hmm. but they might say, "Wow, this inspires us or this challenges us or this leads to this idea, or this leads to this new uh, connection between very different types of companies or very different types of uh, actors within the health health space mm-hmm. that need to talk talk with each other and currently that's that space honestly is quite siloed, so remember. Again, this is to say that's the big global game about how uh, the economy is changing and markets are changing and our global uh, situation is changing. But there's also the very concrete question of uh, how are we going to govern this? How are we going to fund this? Mm -hmm. How is the public sector going to do this? And and health is extremely regulated. So you cannot Mm -hmm. transform health if you don't have a conversation between regulators and businesses. And today, those conversations are extremely siloed full of power plays, full of conflict, full Mm -hmm. of financial interests. So we are doing this in a way as a Trojan horse to open up the space. Mm. And we can do that because we can balance with that's the fun part of being where I'm now to to understand market forces and drivers, but also to understand policy Mm
2: -hmm. forces
1: and drivers. And it's that intersection that we're putting uh, the Danish Science Center, and that's where it's, it's quite a lot of fun to, uh, to to be, to do something like this. It
0: sounds it sounds fun, but when you mentioned kind of all the different competing interests and and conflicts, <laughs> and whatnot, so that made me think <laughs> of another question. World, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, not you know, what is it? Nothing worth doing is easy is is a, is a good way yeah. of putting it, right? Um, so, you, you know, with, with that in mind, uh, when you encounter challenges in in a space like health in this in this example or others you know what have you done or what have your what what has your team done to help uh scale these tools and these processes and these approaches um across these different organizations some of whom are probably coming with a very kind of conservative mindset i would imagine towards some of this stuff but that's just my that's yeah. that's my inkling right you're always going to have a bit of yeah. a diverse audience um, so how do you, how do you respond to that and how do you help, um, how, how do you help implement this stuff?
1: Yeah. So, so clearly our possibilities are different depending on where we are. So in some areas, like for example, we are uh, co-funded by the uh, health authorities of, um, of uh, Greater Copenhagen, hmm. which means that we have very direct access and can have conversations with them at a the high level and. Uh, steering committees and so forth. So we have that kind of uh, dialogue where we can talk about implications, and that doesn't mean as easy as you know any innovation and changes is. Can be difficult, but that's one one approach. Another approach is to say that well, fortunately, with uh, this is the what the total opposite side of the spectrum is mm-hmm. with markets. The beautiful thing is that some uh, will pick it up and run with it, and some won't, and that's uh, the nature of the creative destruction. So we will. Put something out there uh, with our programs, with our interventions, and some will capture it, and they'll run with it, and they'll make, do something great. And others won't really ever get it.
2: Mm-hmm. And to
1: some extent, that's that's part of the game. And they they will probably, you know, long term or midterm, they'll fail, go away, and won't, won't exist anymore. And not just because of us uh, not using what we are doing, but. Because of the mindset that they have, that they are not curious, they're not open, they're not interested, they don't experiment, they don't take up new new things. And then, of course, you have the big the big middle game, which is the tough one, where you have lots and lots of businesses, lots of organizations that become, you know, kind of curious, but don't know exactly what to make of this design kind of thing, mm-hmm. and don't know exactly how to engage with it. And that's where your question becomes uh, extremely relevant, which is how do you uh, support? Uh, them, how to engage with them in meaningful ways, where we are, you know, not a large organization. We don't have a lot of funding to give to them to purchase design uh, mm-hmm. advisory services or whatever. We have some some of our programs. We do, we do give grants out, but the question then becomes what to do. And here's what we're working on, just to share that, which might also have inspiration actually for um, for public um, for public bodies. So what we're doing is we're we're trying to find. Um, the minimum uh, intervention, the minimum uh, offering we can come with that uh, creates a, tr- a transformative experience mm. for leaders of what design can do right so mm-hmm. what 's the minimum we can we can put into the world in workshops in interactions in uh, seminars in conferences in uh, sometimes one on one where we sort of uh, really distill. And, 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 and provide a, an experience of, of what design might do, and a reflection around that. And from that point, that's kind of sort of touch point, we're working very hard to find ways to map uh, potential journeys, right? so potential mm-hmm. transformation journeys that these organizations and leaders in them could take. And organizations are different, leaders are different, decision makers are different, teams are different, uh, markets are different, contexts are different. It doesn't mean there's a thousand journeys, mm-hmm. but there's probably a good handful. And for each of those journeys, we are then working with the ecosystem we are part of to say, how could we uh, co-produce, how can we orchestrate uh, all kinds of offerings, everything from executive training to access to funding, to mm. access to designers, to um, um, methods and tools, case examples. um uh understanding metrics uh whatever and so we were sort of building that whole you could say ecosystem that or support system uh that can underpin Mm -hmm. those transformation journeys using design and so you can imagine how those pathways uh, as we become more and more experienced uh build more and more examples and cases build to grow begin to grow ambassadors uh, who've gone through the journey who Mm -hmm. have you know and live to tell about it (laughs) <laughs> um, so that's kind of where we are right now. <laughs> yeah, let's, and and, and uh, some of them will fail. Uh, some of them won't go all the way. Some will, will uh, not provide the results they were hoping for.
2: Mm-hmm. And we'll
1: begin to learn more and more about the, the, what that takes. And you know, in my new book, I, I published a book in Danish last year, which is about business. And this year, there's leading public design. And mm-hmm. there are six leadership practices in, in that work that, in my mind, are quite um, become quite uh, interesting. In, in, in the work we're doing in the Danish Science Center because we are, we're finding that we can use those six leadership practices as a um, conversation mm-hmm. tool with leaders with managers about what they can expect from the journey and uh, and we also and we have other tools as well, but basically to say this is a way to have that conversation and to find ways of of supporting them. And so this is how we're trying to
2: mm-hmm.
1: scale what we do and then really partner with others who can be part of the de- you know the delivery system or the, the co-production
0: system. And so you're, uh, you're foreshadowing a question I have here, which is those, those six leadership practices that are outlined in your book. And I saw that you gave a presentation about it just, I think, last week as well. Um, so what are those six practices?
1: Yeah. Um, see if I can remember them because they they change a bit over time in terms of what I call them, and also uh, there's a version in Danish and there's a version in in, in English. Right. Yes. Um, but first and foremost, for, for, firstly, the six practices are, are anchored in, in, in design practice, right? So mm-hmm. so they they're formed around uh, design work, uh, which is really uh, exploring problems ideating uh, new concepts and finally uh, prototyping and, and creating new futures. Mm-hmm. And so the six leadership practices are kind of paired with, with, with the design work. And so it's really about the engagement between the engagement of leaders w- with design work, with design practice. And that's um, what I'm hoping. And also, it was also in my PhD thesis, uh, which I, I completed la- last week. So it's really founded in research, uh, both with government, but actually also with business. And so... The six practices are, first of all, uh, challenging assumptions. And so mm-hmm. the ability to uh, challenge your assumptions, to uh, keep an open mind, to uh, really uh, empathize with uh, end users uh, and, and other types of uh, uh, stakeholders uh, and, and begin to ultimately reframe uh, what you're doing as an organization in, in the context of, of, of the problem. Mm-hmm. The second um, uh, practice is leveraging empathy. Uh, which is really uh, using uh, insight in citizens' experiences or insight in customers to, mm-hmm. um, to create organizational change, and and there are so many powerful examples of that by now, where this human connection with the experience that that we that we um, we make happen to people um, become this driver of change, and mm-hmm. in the hands of the, the, you could say the the, the right manager, or the right leader, and the right leadership practices that can become not in a not in a dysfunctional or like negative way, but in a in a very positive, empowering mm-hmm. way, a lever for change because it can energize an organization to say we are really, really going to change this thing. We we are not going to have this happen to people. Uh, and again, I mean, I've seen this happening in banks, seen it happening in healthcare,
2: mm-hmm. seen it
1: happening in social services, in education. It's a, it's a universal sort of. Um, a, uh, potentiality of, of design research and and, and empathy
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and and the third um practice is really about um uh, well it, you know there are two connected practices one is uh, navigating the unknown
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it's really about um and the ability to to navigate the space where you know uh in design work becomes extremely open, mm-hmm. uh, where you have uh, lots of ideation going on, brainstorming happening, concepts floating around, uh, employees are engaged, and, and you are not sure uh, where this whole thing is going to end. Uh, so um, yeah, so navigating the unknownness of sort of the, 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 the that's like the valley of darkness in innovation, mm-hmm. right? uh, and innovation, right? And it's connected to the the fourth leadership practice, which is um, really about um, Uh, embracing diversity sort of embracing and 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 Mm -hmm. and dealing with with the um insisting on keeping the process open so so one is really about this discomfort and dealing with this uncomfortableness of of the of that space and the other one is keeping to insist even so you deal with the discomfort Mm -hmm. you insist that you keep the space open and you keep the space open for longer than is comfortable so in a way that's this kind of um I'm arguing that there's this inner journey that really the the manager's journey, which is like acknowledging that you're losing control, acknowledging Mm -hmm. that that citizens or customers and not least staff, especially employees and staff and partners, are really more in control than you are or coming up with new things. Um, You're losing uh, the command you normally have of the situation Mm -hmm. and you're also resisting making decisions. Mm -hmm. And this kind of resisting making decisions is really a tough thing too. So insisting on the diversity, insisting on that... yeah.
0: No, I was just saying that, yeah, I think, you know, like, if you have an unknown space, and you sit with that discomfort for long enough, you're going to start to see and hear things, i.e. empathize. Um, yeah. With, uh, uh, that that I guess weren't really kind of loud and clear, to begin with, because you were coming at it with your pre-existing mental models, or whatever, right? Your pre-existing assumptions. Yeah. Um, And so you were just looking for the easy answer to the problem, which would kind of actually keep you um, in in the province of your old thinking. Yeah, keep you safe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you need to move toward... And uh,
1: actually, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're totally right. So you need to move towards um, another place, right? And Mm -hmm. and that other place both has a different understanding of the problem, right? It's a a different... uh, It's that reframing of the problem space. Mm -hmm. But it's also... A different potential set of solutions, right? Mm-hmm. So, give you an, give you an example of this of this practice. I just heard it from uh, yesterday. I was launching the book uh, here in Copenhagen, the leading public design, and uh, I had uh, two speakers. One was um, uh, head, the uh, the head nurse of the cancer center in uh, here at the uh, uh, the national hospital in Copenhagen. She's also a case uh, in the book when she was running the the heart clinic, uh, same place, and she was arguing. She was telling the story. Of the work we did at mind lab with her, mm. and how uh, the concept of time, and how patients, uh, citizens experience time and waiting in a hospital context, mm. became this really, really powerful uh, concept for them. And, and, and as exactly as they kept that space open, it began to linger long enough. And they kept it open long enough to begin to question whether they had got it all wrong. Mm. And whether actually, Uh, the big game was to uh, make the citizen's time more important than the doctor's time Hmm. and how would you redesign the clinic around the citizens and optimizing citizens journey uh, also in terms of how much time they spend waiting and how do you integrate all disciplines around the patient rather than around their professional practices and that became the organizing principle and that also led Mm. Uh, to uh, to massive, you know, transformation, both in terms of of cost, but also in terms of service experience, Mm. and in terms of employee satisfaction. So this is so you so this space is really, really critical. Before then turning to just to finish the fifth and sixth leadership Mm -hmm. practice, which are essentially, you know, rehearsing the future, prototyping, testing, insisting on becoming concrete, insisting that this is not an abstract exercise, where you end up with Mm -hmm. a nice report about how time might matter to patients, but actually you're trying stuff out and you're redesigning and testing and iterating and lastly the the, the six practices insisting that yes you start with uh, understanding the problem from a uh, end user perspective from citizen perspective mm-hmm. but you ultimately as a manager must insist that you create value both outside the organisation for citizens but you also create value uh, and create a meaningful redesign for uh staff for employees for the organization if you if you fail at that you will also fail at creating meaningful change outside because you you can't create meaningful change without that change also being meaningful for those who are delivering it
0: mhm yes no i i really like that sixth one in particular because it's like this isn't just an exercise in, in thinking through a problem better and coming up with a better approach. I mean, it's really yeah. the it's the last two, it's the fifth and the sixth that are so important, I think, because there you're actually... Without
1: that, you know, it's all, yeah, exactly, otherwise... Exactly. <laughs> Although, otherwise, it's been a really flashy, nice process, but mm-hmm. ultimately, no change.
0: I think, yeah, I really think that, um, you know, to compare uh, the kind of output that comes from from government and uh, from uh, non-governmental organizations' side of things, the tendency is towards those first four. Like, you might find an innovative process that that deals with challenging assumptions, that leverages empathy and really tries to understand the problem from different perspectives, Um, really dives into some of the things that are, you know, known unknowns and unknown unknowns and all this kind of stuff. And then even kind of embraces yeah. a diverse viewpoint around the problem. But then at the end of the day, the output is like a big 200-page report. <laughs>
1: yeah. you know, it's, like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, yeah. And,
0: and nobody is it's, ever going to read that, right? Nobody's ever going to yeah. accept the researchers. And, yeah, honestly,
1: in... that that was... Yeah. And then, but I think with the backgrounds we have, I mean, I also just wrote a 350-page thesis, right? So right. We, we all are kind of schooled <laughs> in that kind of way of working, right? Yes. Uh, but in a way, it should have gone against my better, better judgment to even do that kind of work. If I hadn't done it, I may, we may not have had the six uh, well, leadership practices
0: exactly. because that's, you need that's to what think, graded it, right? I'm not saying that you, don't, <laughs> that you don't have to think through these things in in, I, in I, the I context said, of, that, a, I, of I, a PhD yeah. thesis, but yeah. you know what I'm saying, it's, just, yeah. it's that other... Uh, Another Another second, saying, and,
1: and i also, I'd also say my intuition was when I, when I came to the Danish Design Center and started the, uh, the transformation we, we went through there, uh, my, my very strong intuition was to say we are going to start with experiments, we are going to start with interventions, we're going to start hmm. with prototypes, that's what we're going to start with. We'll yeah. build prototypes, we'll run them and we'll learn from them and then we'll iterate. We are not going to write any more reports, we're not going to do more studies or analysis. Now we can be more comfortable because we know now that we can create uh, interventions that are meaningful and we can begin, We can work in experimental ways. Then we can also sometimes just collect some data, publish some uh, insights and so on. And, mm-hmm. and we are balancing those things now. But I think I, we kind of continuously had to kind of push for that kind of interventionist approach because otherwise it's too easy to fall back into the analytical stance and just... Um, Uh, publish things that you think people will read and and change and we know that that rarely happens
0: Mm -hmm. and so do you think that that um that might be a problem with kind of uh i feel like design thinking is it's such a big all-encompassing term now and i see a lot of a lot of it heading towards the analysis side of things there's a lot of people talking about it but but it it always feels like there's few people really practicing and doing it would you say that that yeah, is kind of a common criticism of design thinking
2: right now.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a risk there, and I actually I gave a, I gave a, an interview that's uh, published in, uh, in, in in writing with it with a journal, uh, a design and economics journal, recently, where I, I argue, and I can see I've been I've been quoted on Twitter quite a bit about that one, which is mm. that design thinking as a concept is a, is a bit problematic because it, it kind of emphasizes the thinking and not the designing, right? Uh, and there is a risk that it becomes kind of management with posters um mm-hmm. and, and and i think some to some extent that that has become uh, the case um i think also to some extent uh, there's a risk that we forget uh, professionally trained designers uh and their the, the actual profession which is also about giving form also about working with aesthetics also working with mm-hmm. um, uh functionality also working with sort of uh other senses than uh, than the visual sense for example working mm-hmm. with sound working with 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 uh, smell working with uh, tactility and, and whatnot so i think um the the the, the uh, essence of of my recent work was to say let's take a look from the manager's perspective of how they experience collaborating with designers mm-hmm. so i'm not arguing that these managers are design thinkers I'm arguing that they are engaging with design, Mm -hmm. and these six practices are really ways of engaging with design and design work. And of of course, these managers are influenced by it, and maybe they become more attuned to design, more open Mm -hmm. to working with designers, and many of them are continuing to collaborate with designers now. Uh, But this is a very different, uh, I I hope people will see that as a very different way of um, understanding uh, how design can create value than what design thinking, at least in the way it's being proposed, many places is, is and, and the way it's being practiced, many places is, is about. So I'm trying to do, take a different route there. That doesn't mean that I can't sometimes use the term myself because a lot of people are,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it can sometimes be useful to sort of explain. Well, it's it's not about necessarily uh, what design looks like. It's it's the process of designing. Is how it's how you think as you as you design or how, what you do as you design. But it is a, t- a difficult term and uh I know a lot of designers were not also very comfortable with it. So I was um I think we have to be um be be, uh, so be, be critical about the term.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well so we're I'm noticing the time. It's it's actually gone by uh, quite sure. fast. Um but what I'd what I'd like to do and what I what I do with a lot of folks at the end of the interviews, uh is just kind of ask a few rapid round questions. Um so if you're okay with that, we can kind of go through a few of those mm-hmm. right now. Um uh, so out of all of your work, um Christian what? I guess who has been kind of a, a mentor for you? And what yeah, and so what did you learn asked. from that person and, and and such. Yeah.
1: Um so I was asked last week um if what had inspired some of my work on the the thesis and uh, Mm. in terms of mentor, at least I could say that the um, the book um, managing as designing uh, by Dick Boland and Fred Colopy has been quite inspiring to me and been a a source of inspiration along Mm. the way. Um, You also see it quoted quite extensively in some of my work. And so uh, Dick Boland, who's a professor at Case Western, uh, and actually, which is has one of the first sort of uh, schools of uh, design and leadership mm. uh, anywhere. It has been uh, has been really uh, inspiring. Now, uh, and also, I mean, on my collaboration with my thesis advisor, you know, Robert Austin, who's a, a Harvard uh, Business School professor, and uh, mm. later on, he's been a professor at Copenhagen Business School, has been really uh, inspiring. And then you can say that. So, so they've been sources of inspiration and also sources of mentorship, you could say. Um, uh, probably the, the, the major ones. And then I would say that um, it's an institution like um, uh, Nesta in the UK mm-hmm. is inspiring because um, what they are doing, in which in a way we're trying to sort of emulate is the ability to capture emerging trends and emerging mm-hmm. patterns and very quickly trying them out. Mm-hmm. And um, And what Nesta has been doing is often to write about it or research it. But they're also getting better at actually running programs or prototypes on Mm -hmm. it and we are within our domain really spending some time on understanding emerging patterns and then transforming them into something that can be tested and tried out with business Mm -hmm. an example could be open source hardware um and open source manufacturing which we're looking into right now with a number of uh, really interesting businesses Mm -hmm. and so so that's um so it's not always people that inspire you can also be um uh, institutions
0: mm-hmm interesting yeah, I really like that differentiation that you make uh there between between nesta and yourselves that's that's fascinating um so it, uh, here's here's one more here this is kind of a funny one so when you were a kid uh who did you want to be when you grew up and are you kind of anywhere near that right now
1: uh that's a really good Good question. I don't know that. Um, I mean, if we go far back, back far enough, I probably want it to be David Crockett, right? So uh, that's it's a, it's a dangerous place to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: I, you, have choose, face, you have to choose. You uh,
1: have to choose the
0: right the right age level.
1: Yeah, it's yeah exactly because uh, usually people would go, would go would go with Winston Churchill, right? So uh, I'm not sure David Crockett is the right uh, one to go with. That's a really hard one. I, hmm. I, um, um, I actually don't know that I really had that kind of, a uh, ideal, I can, I can, I can I, I share with you a, a bit of a secret though, that you might find funny, um, not least given where I'm working now, because what, where I'm working now is also quite influenced, not least in Denmark by the whole digital space. Mm-hmm. So when I was, when I was 12, uh, I wrote, uh, books on computer programming, uh, with my, my younger brother. And so I actually had published, I think, four books uh, by the age uh, of 14 or 15 wow. uh, on, uh, on, uh, on uh, graphic programming for Commodore 64, which was a uh, microcomputer back really? in the early 80s. Yeah. Uh, so, And actually, I worked a lot with computing and uh, also created a business and uh, sold uh, computer hardware hmm. uh, when I was in high school uh, until uh, university. So I have a, I was a bit of a techie uh, back then. Um, nice. And again, I don't know that I had an ideal, but I, I, but I was um, in, the, in the space. interesting. yeah, no, I,
0: I used to be like a guitar player myself. I've gone through political science, yeah. and I just I, I always find it fascinating where we, um, you know, where we come from. I think I wanted to be an astronaut too at some point, but I think that's common for a lot of kids you know they want to go to space that's an interesting place to go
1: and actually actually when I was back then I did I did write one novel and uh, the novel was about a space expedition ex- expedition uh, uh, and the, the, the key uh, actors in it were, were children and actually I was just so recently uh, a old copy of an article about that, that book back then in uh, 19 uh, 86 maybe, and uh, uh, the article is a newspaper clipping about me being the author, and it said that uh, <laughs> that this was the first uh, first book in the, in the, in uh, in Denmark or Scandinavia with, where children were were the were the stars in a science fiction uh, piece. So that's <laughs> so great. Anyway, so
0: oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, first and last a, novel. It sounds like broad interest, though. David Crockett, uh, you know, space programming. So it's it's hard to it's hard to find one thing that you wanted to be, but that's great. Um, so, there you go. sorry about that. No, it's it's perfect. It's a great answer. So another another quick question here. Um and this one we can kind of tie it to all the all the stuff that we've talked about so far because I think it wraps up nicely with it. But it's this it's this question that uh you know, w- what would you tell somebody who is interested in applying these tools and and trying to kind of change their organization from within, whether they're the boss or or an employee within it? Um, What would you tell them about, you know, kind of overcoming the hurdles and the, um, I guess, just the, the, you know, the business culture, I guess, that, 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 you know, that you can find yourself um, tied up by It, it, there's, it can be very limiting sometimes to innovate at work. So what would you tell them to kind of push them over the, over the edge and into this space of, of design thinking and innovative
2: work?
1: Couple of things. I think one is that uh, uh, even though we celebrate individuals, like we just talked about, um, uh, ultimately it's uh, it's teams and collaborations that make the big difference. Uh, so uh, one advice would be to overcome hurdles. Make sure you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, build uh, build teams. Build alliances. Build networks. Build partners. Uh, find kindred uh, spirits. Um, uh, that's one uh, another one is um which also triggered sort of my own sort of journey and in, into sort of managers and designers
2: mm.
1: is to uh look for the managers and the leaders that are open to change and mm-hmm. collaborate with them and and avoid those that definitely won't be uh and begin be- become good at sort of seeing who, who is it that could be potentially a partner also a higher sort of decision-making level uh if you, if you um ultimately are are sort of hindered by someone uh, who really just isn't going to really embrace uh, it or embrace change, mm-hmm. who may be more concerned with his or her own career or whatever power plays and so on, then uh, uh, that leads to my, my last advice, on it, which probably is, well, it is to uh, leave i mean go somewhere else mm-hmm. i mean your life is too short to work in organizations uh, where it, the avenues for change and for um meaningful sort of uh, work to create an impact is is not are closed and um if if you're passionate and uh, and and um, engage with it then there will be ripe opportunities elsewhere to to go so so um so i think build build collaborations uh, look for uh, the managed leaders that can kind of open up the space work mm-hmm. with them uh, and if you if you uh, realize that that you're sort of hitting your head against the wall uh, extens- extensively, there I think I'm I'm personally a little bit of a, an impatient person, and mm-hmm. and I've been lucky to be quite long time where I've been. But the, the reason I've been there so long is that I continue to have those opportunities
2: mm-hmm. to uh,
1: to grow and to try out new things and to shift positions and so on and have quite a lot of freedom to do so within, of course, overall responsibility. Uh, but, uh, life is too short to be in organizations that, uh, that don't really have a future. So, so, so get it, get, get get out and, uh, go, go, uh, go elsewhere where you can, uh, use your energy. I agree.
0: Totally agree. Yes. Fundamentally. <laughs> 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 um, no, that's great. That's great. Great or advice. Start up, right? or, yeah, or start something up. Yeah. Or start something up. Great advice, Christian. Okay. Uh, Thank you so much for this for this conversation. I think there was a lot of uh, really good stuff that we went over here, and uh, yeah, and I look forward to sharing it with my listeners.
1: sure uh, keep me posted uh, I guess you just drop me a message when it's uh, online and uh, uh, look forward to uh, sort of sharing it um, It's always uh, uh, strange to sort of. Um, be someone that somebody else wants to listen to and, and maybe uh, l- learn from but i can just maybe add that this is uh, to me still uh, really a journey uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and not a a place i th- i feel uh, sort of uh, i've come to any uh, final conclusions on so i think uh, uh, you know um if, if if what i'm sharing can sort of uh, inspire others to sort of you know move on on that journey that's great uh, i think every time with your really good questions it, it's always uh, good to be able to reflect yourself and mm-hmm. um and learn a bit as you have to articulate what you're doing then you learn and then you can sort of go back uh, next day and um, try to do a bit better
0: well it, uh, that that kind of journey sensibility really shows Christian uh, so thanks a lot for for the conversation well, and I wish you well on your continued journey I, I I hope it is a continued journey because this stuff certainly isn't a math equation there's no solution that we can exactly we can arrive at at the end of the day so just got to keep learning and there keep moving.
1: Exactly. Well, cheers. Uh, take care and have a, have a good afternoon uh, and uh, be in touch.
0: Yes. Thanks, Christian.
1: Thanks. Okay.
0: Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Christian Basen is the CEO of the Danish Design Center, which works to advance the use of design in business and society. He's also the CEO of Design Society, a foundation which is the parent company of both the Danish Design Center, Index Design to Improve Life, the Danish Fashion Institute, and the Copenhagen Fashion Week. From 2007 to 2014, he was the director of MindLab, the Danish cross-governmental innovation team. And prior to this, he was a consultant and business manager with the international advisory group Ram heading the organization and management practice. Christian is the author of multiple books on innovation and design in government, including Leading Public Design, Discovering Human-Centered Governance, released this year, Design for Policy, and leading public sector innovation, co-creating for a better society. You can find the resources mentioned during this episode at togetherworking.com slash the Working Together Podcast, all one word. And if you'd like to receive the weekly Working Together review, where I share interesting finds and actionable insights about teamwork, facilitation skills, social innovation, cooperatives, behavioral economics, strategy, political theory, and a
2: whole bunch of other stuff, you can sign up at togetherworking.com.